Hello, James. Hello, Jack. How are you doing on this fine, uh, I guess, what day is it? Wednesday? Fine Wednesday afternoon? Yeah, I'm doing great. Um, you know, I, uh, I always thought hump day got a bad rap, I think. I don't know. Tuesdays are kind of the, the tough one for me, but I feel like it's downhill from Wednesday. I have a tough time with Saturday. It's like you're you're coming off all this momentum from the week and then all of a sudden Saturday hits you. It's like the rest of the world just descends. I live in New York, as a lot of you guys know, and I really enjoy living here during the week when most people are at work in their offices and I can sort of roam around uh, in relative seclusion with quite a lot of things to that are offered to me. When the weekend comes, uh, the streets become quite crowded and living here is much less pleasant, but that's okay. Uh, because the, the good news is that the weekend is only two days and the week is five days. Uh, <laughs> so that, that's working in my favor. Anyways, enough about uh, the conditions of New York streets. We have much better things to talk about. Uh, we have a fantastic guest today. James, I'm going to ask you to give him a proper introduction. Yeah, our guest today um, has a poker blog that he has um, done some uh, very enlightening, he has some enlightening um, writings on there. And he also um, does some poker coaching. And I think he does done some work with solvers. And I know that he prefers uh, some deep stack games. But anyway, um, our guest is for Swadio, a.k.a. Chris. Welcome to the show. Great to have you. Thank you. Uh, delighted to be on with you guys. Chris, before we dive into the hand, uh, where can people find out more about what you're up to? Uh, the easiest place is to find me on my original blog and now, I guess, complete website, which is persuadio.nl. Um, I'll throw that over to you for your liner notes. And I'm on Twitter quite a bit. I think yeah, the website will do. I guess the .nl hasn't really taken off. <laughs> uh, nor was it supposed to. Um, registered in the Netherlands for a reason. Ah, I see. Well, I was creative, and maybe we can get into some similarly creative poker strategy uh, in our conversation today. Uh, Chris, I know you sent over some hands, and James, you you picked one that piqued your interest. So I guess, why delay? Let's dive in. Yeah, so I, I wanted to ask, what is the background on these hands? Like, what kind of game is it played in, Chris? Sure, I'll tell you all about that. So I am a low-stakes poker coach. Um, we are connected in that we have some some solve for why overlap. I sent a bunch of students down there a few years ago and um, was in a chat group with Christian Soto for many years. So there's a certain bias towards deep games. And indeed, I started as part of my many coaching offerings and programs, twice weekly deep stack game where you're encouraged to buy up to 500 big lines. But we play real small, so that's a training site. So these, all of these hands, I sent you six, and you've chosen one to talk about, come from a, a game that is really intended to train uh, live and online players for deep stack situations on PP Poker, which is one of the popular apps. Great. Oh, that's pretty awesome. I didn't know you did that. That sounds like a lot of fun. It is, like, yeah. Uh, a good way to learn. Probably too much fun. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, so this particular hand, I chose the hand number four that you sent me. Who are the players involved in this hand? Um, it looks like you are involved on the button, but um, who's the other player? Can you tell us a little about him? Yeah, let me open this up just to remind myself. Without, okay, this yeah, is... Without, without invading his privacy too much. Oh, no, he's a brave soul. Um, his name's Bruce. He's been with me for a couple different courses and I think a private or two. So I'm very familiar with him. He is a mid-stakes cash game player from Northern California. He plays um, in table stakes games. Well, all, all games are table stakes, right? But those games, what they mean by that is you generally going to be adding on as other stacks add on. 
but yeah. there was an original cap. So they get really deep. And so he's very um, used to playing with a lot of big blinds at risk. He's an aggressive um, player, I would say. He will, will tend to make more moves than the average opponent. And one of his flaws, which maybe this is going to come up, I don't know. I'm eager to hear your opinions on this, is that he tends to overplay hands. We'll see if, if this is one of those spots. No such thing. Good. Good to know. We're, we're all set. All right, great. All right. Um, so it looks like it's 10 cent, 20 cent. Is that right? And it folds to Chris, who's on the button. And Chris and uh, Bruce is in the small blind in this hand. So they have about 500 big blinds, like they said, in this hand, close to... Yeah, close to 500 effective. Looks like a little more. Looks like almost six. And I forgot to mention the big blind, who doesn't play a big role in this hand. Uh, but the big blind is much shorter with about 200 big blinds. And he's a slightly less experienced opponent. Who, um, I think I met him through Fausto, and he, he has uh, maybe less training than Bruce overall. Yeah, it looks like the, the big blind is much shorter. All right, so you open the button here, and I guess we'll treat that as like kind of a mystery hand for now, um, and we'll be playing kind of from Bruce's perspective. Um, so, do you want me to give you um, my hand, or is it better without it? I, I think it'll be more interesting without it. That's good because um, I don't actually remember it other than one <laughs> card. Yeah, that's good. Awesome. Um, so. We have a very experienced poker coach opening the button to 3x, and we have King Jack offsuit in the small blind, and we have our, our first decision point. Chris, stacks, sizes. Uh, there's got to be some correlation there. Uh, is 3x your standard size, or do you vary depending on uh, you know, the effective stack between you and your opponent? You know, that's a good question because in, in theory, as in my belief, as you reach maybe past 400, you should definitely be opening a little bit larger and you should also be large, opening larger on the button. But the truth is uh, these hands happen so fast in an online environment and it's kind of fussy to adjust them. I have taken a standard uh, 3X approach, but, you know, good point. Makes sense. Also, you, you do have a... Uh... You're not that deep with a big blind who you're most likely to play this hand with. So, you know, be reasonable not to adjust necessarily in this formation, even if you're adjusting if both players are 600 big blinds deep. Excellent point. Yeah, true. All right. So in the small blind, similar question. Very deep. It's difficult to deny equity. I think it's... I would think that you would advocate a relatively passive strategy in the small blind, but maybe I'm totally off base. Uh, how do you approach this spot? That's another good question. Um, in general, I would have players be more aggressive from the small blind with the caveat that for the reasons you just mentioned, there are a lot of hands which you know don't want to blow up the pot, uh, still want to be involved, and certainly King Jack, um, which is what Bruce has here, seems like the kind of hand that would just want to flat. Maybe if it was suited, it would be more likely to three bet. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I like flatting with King Jack off a lot here. I mean, we can say like we have blockers to Kings and Jacks, which is good, which which are hands that are definitely going to continue against us if we three bet. Um, so blocking those hands would be nice when coming in for the three bet. However, there are a lot of like dominated hands that, you might just consider folding here just because they don't, they're not really going to play that great. Like when you're this deep, like if you have a hand like King nine offsuit, you know, Jack nine offsuit, those are hands that King Jack kind of benefits from keeping in the pot in a lot of circumstances. And you're never going to fold a hand that dominates King Jack itself. So like you're never going to fold King Queen, you're never going to fold Ace Jack. So, for, those are some of the reasons that I like 
flatting with his hand here. And we also probably have some domination over the big blinds calling range as well when we flat this hand. Yeah, very good. How often do you think you are folding to, let's say, a free bet to somewhere between 10 and 13 bigs? On the low side, definitely. Uh, it's true that I'll have you know the widest range on the button and I won't want to, nor would I advise continuing very wide, but the truth is at 600 bigs, assuming it's Bruce who puts in the, the three bet, I won't fold anything but the worst hands that were just pure steals. Yeah, we get into this interesting dynamic where on the one hand, and I think this is something that can be confusing to sort out, and I, I don't think there's necessarily a super clear answer, but we're in these spots where the button feels compelled to call extremely wide. And so it makes sort of intuitive sense uh, to widen our range and go for thinner value. At the same time, you have to kind of think, why is it or what is it about the situation that's incentivizing the button to continue so frequently? And you know, if, if we're in a situation where you think you can profitably, let's say, call with a hand like king nine offsuit in position, then sure, king jack likes that. It's keeping some of the dominated hands in, but... It also shows we're in a relatively disadvantageous situation. I think because of that, I would actually consider, it, it kind of depends on the strength of the big blind. I think in this spot, I would just be flatting quite a bit. But I also think, let's say we had a deeper and more skilled big blind. I think this is a spot where we should start considering relatively small three bets with a certain range because we, you know, we're sort of accepting that we're not going to deny equity very effectively and we can sort of take initiative, induce another range split from the button, which gives us more information, which, you know, it's, it's not why we're doing this, but it's useful. And we kind of squeeze out uh, the big blind so that we don't have to go three ways out of position to two players very often at all. It, it's something I think is worth considering. Yeah, I, I agree, and it's, it sort of resolves some very conflicting uh, poker thoughts where, oh, they want you to think about charging the in-position player with larger bets, but then overall, in most theory, we're supposed to put in less money out of position. So putting in a smaller three bet might be a, a very good answer. And I, I think the range we kind of want to do that with is is very like linear, which is in some ways the incentive of the small blind as well um, when three betting. So, you know, going for a smaller size with that linear range could kind of make sense. And then hopefully we'll just be in a good shape against the buttons continuing range a lot of the time, um, even though they will have position on us. That sounds really good. Uh, I observed Pluribus doing this during that challenge. I don't know if you watched some of that data, but it mixed up it's out of position sizings between smaller and larger. And, you know, I didn't get into it enough to figure out why, but hey, if Pluribus does it, it can't be all that bad, right? <laughs> yeah, it'd be very interesting to investigate. All right, so Bruce does decide to flat here and the, the big blind does come along as well. All right, so um, we get a flop of ace of hearts, queen of clubs, eight of clubs and we're in the big blind with king of clubs jack of diamonds so um jack what do you think about this flop it's okay <laughs> <laughs> um there That's are true, <laughs> i don't think it's impossible that we'll fold to a flat bet here but i also think it's quite possible that we'll call a flop bet here. I don't think we'll have much of a raising range in this formation, is my guess. And I think the, the King of Clubs is it's an interesting and bittersweet card, but my general feeling about it is that it's not extremely helpful uh, in a deep stack situation. And so it's not like I want to be turning this hand into a bluff and barreling on clubs at any extreme frequency. I just don't think, you know, it, it's a hand that maybe 
it feels like we want to want to do something with it, but it's a pretty disadvantageous situation and we're in a three-way pot. And so I, I don't think that I'm like that eager about continuing in this hand unless we get a very a relatively favorable price. Things can get interesting if it checks through, certainly. I, that's just my... my yeah, thing. yeah. So I think the the button will definitely have like a nut advantage here in that they'll have all of the like the best aces like and i don't think that small blind or big blind will ever have ace queen here or ace king maybe they can have some ace jack it's probably like the best ace that small blind would have and that one that one probably gets three bet most of the time as well so um but then i also think that the button will be a lot wider here than the small blind in general as well. And I think a lot of a lot of players like will range bet on this board like as the button, which I think is more of a mistake. Um, I think it's because the player with the as the preflop raiser, like a lot of the time like they'll have a significant range advantage like on these ace queen high boards like or ace king high boards however um like when when it's the button it's a it's a quite a different scenario just because they'll have um a super wide range it's not like they they raise the hijack where um they're going to be relatively tighter not that i would assume that chris would necessarily see bet 100 here i mean i don't i don't think it's like an awful play. What are your, what are your thoughts about that, Chris? From Bruce's perspective or, or from, uh, or? from like, do you think that a lot of players are C betting 100 here on the button? And do you think that's a mistake? Well, it has to be a mistake uh, simply because if, I mean, we could probably come up with a lot of reasons, but simply the fact that it's three way means that money going to the pot should trend downward. So something has to give. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't want to open the action per se with like a 10% bet with the entire range. So there has to be some checks. So whatever the button does, it turns out to be me, um, should probably be taken um, a little bit more seriously than if it were just a heads up pot. All right. So as Bruce, um, we check the big blind checks and we face a one third pot bet from the button here. So we do see the perhaps misapplied range bet. <laughs> well, I, I don't think that's something that we would expect here as Bruce um, from an, an experienced player like yourself. Yeah, I think I don't hate this as a raising candidate, but it's really unfortunate that the ace is the offsuit card here because um, we're not... Um, we're not going to be able to like block the nuts when clubs come in, so it'll be um, a much worse like bluffing opportunity when we get clubs because um, we'll be just up against a lot of nut flush draws if we choose to raise here and then button continues. I probably won't have any raises in this spot, most likely. I just think it's it's really tough for us to sell having much and we're going to see i think a pretty high turn barreling frequency uh from a player who's betting into three especially against a range that's as capped as ours so if i had or it's ace queen whatever i don't remember what the bottom card is but eight, I had eight? okay yeah if i had like a set of eights or ace eight i don't think i'm particularly incentivized to raise uh, and I think we are, we're in, we're, we risk being three bit here. I think it, um, a significant, not significant as in like huge, but significant as in we should pay attention to it frequency. And so obviously King Jack with the King of Clubs is uh, a pretty clear fold versus a three bet. So it's, it's not a hard decision, but it does mean that we don't get to turn our miracle 10 quite as often as we'd like to through a raise. 
Yeah, it's a like you point out, it's a very narrow value range that we would be repping, and that range might want to um, just keep Chris's bluffs in um, in order to yeah to make more money on later streets instead of getting them to fold right now. Yeah, put it into context. Like, if this is a hundred big blind game, and we're heads up, then I think you have a lot more liberty to just start check raising for value with hands like ace jack ace 10 uh which are hands you're more or less willing to felt and it's it's worth including those because you can get value and it allows you to bluff but i think here that would just be a really significant mistake so so i'm not necessarily interested in raising here so the question becomes for me call or fold facing a third pot i am feeling relatively indifferent but i think calling is reasonable because i do think when a club comes on the turn we face a lot more checks and rivers can become interesting for us and so i think that's that plus our sort of implied odds of smashing a uh, 10 on the turn yeah that feels like enough for me to want to continue uh, what about raising with a hand like what do you think, think about raising? Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I don't think Big Blind has a significant raising frequency here either. Uh, actually, especially because we have the king of clubs, uh, I think a lot of inexperienced players might raise with combo draws here. And so that's not great for us when it has them, but us having the king of clubs makes it less likely. So I feel pretty good about calling. What do you think about raising a hand like the the nut flush draw like so it's top pair and the nut flush draw just so that we're able to, to take some some aggressive actions here and then we're, we'd also be able to like, throw a few bluffs in there i think like that could be a nice way to push equity but maybe some of chris's like worst club draws end up folding in that scenario, so it might not be an be, action we want to take. I'd be more worried about big line folding worse club draws in that scenario. Yeah. Um, so, no, it's... Yeah, I still feel pretty good about my no-raise strategy here. Uh, so I don't think I would include those hands either. I don't know, Chris, are you... Do you have check raises here in the small blind on an ace-queen-8 board? From the small blind, uh, does Jacob have check raises? He certainly could have a few, but... Or would you? Would you have them? Would I have them? I would tend not to have them um, because of this exact board and for some of the reasons you discussed. And also because my range is going, the best parts of my range are mostly like lower flush draws and the weak aces that take the price, which don't actually want to check raise very much. Right. So Bruce does elect to raise here and he raises. Um, four times Chris's one-third pot bet. So, yeah, so he like, takes the un unrecommended yeah. action. Yeah. <laughs> and um, there's one thing I would like you to address, because while I agree with much of what you're saying, uh, how does he respond if Jacob does actually have the kinds of flush draws? You know, what is he up against here when he's actually up against the flush draws that Jacob should have? What will, what should Jacob do or, or be doing against uh, a bet in a race? Well, Jacob is not quite as deep, which helps him potentially continue with like, let's say he has a hand like king nine of clubs. So I think when we have a combo draw, it's, it's pretty easy to continue in some fashion. When we have, you know, not clubs, it's it's pretty trivial to continue in some fashion. When we have shitty clubs, I think it's pretty trivial to fold. And so to me, like what are the, the really tricky spots are like kind of exactly like King X of clubs. And I think it depends to a certain degree on like how he perceives you on the button in terms of how often you're going to three bet. That's what I would be concerned about um, primarily because I do think that this check raise looks kind of bullshitty. And so if, if you just have ace king here, I wouldn't, uh, 
I wouldn't think it was crazy for you to put it in a three bed. Thinking that even a hand like eights is really pretty unlikely to put in a four bet. And so I would be pretty concerned about trying to continue with these non combo draw type hands and with those. I, I think he might also be better off going ahead and raising himself. I think it's a reasonable strategy, just trying to deny equity and well, I'd have to think about it a little bit more actually. Uh, well, you're basically saying that he'd be driven by the equity of his hand somewhat. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. I think that's fair at 200 big bonds. Actually, a little bit less, right? Short stacked in this game. Yeah. <laughs> also, with with the understanding that like there's probably just a little bit of shenanigans going on based on the format and the familiarity of everybody, I, I think it's pretty reasonable to think that you're getting quite a few folds from a three bet here and you're pretty happy to go to the felt with any kind of, uh, it gets a little ugly. I don't know. <laughs> so a couple things I would mention that would be, I think, you know, I think you've given some absolutely terrific advice as you usually do. Um, specific to these players in this, these games are that Bruce will probably have more stronger hands than you two expect because and one of the things we emphasize in the practice here is that if you're going to take an action, it needs to be protected by something. So he could have, you know, more ace queens than you think. Uh, Jacob could have stronger hands even that don't just naturally squeeze. And the other, the flip side of it is that I'm gen generally like out of line more often than other players and will simply be putting money into the pot, not just because I think uh, it will work, but to test uh, my opponent. So when we see this C bet, uh, yes, it looks a little funny, um, as you noted, but I'm probably doing it a little bit too much, and, and I'm aware of it. I don't. I don't think it. There's anything wrong with the size. I also don't. I don't think size has to correlate with uh, with the frequency at which you're betting. So I mostly just think it looks. That the fact that you chose to bet at all makes it look relatively strong. Not like strong in an absolute sense, but uh, like you probably don't just have like six, seven of diamonds here. Yeah, right. What I'm saying is I, I would just because it would look strong. So I am putting in more money than I should overall. And that may incentivize Bruce to take lighter and lighter shots, even though I agree that technically this check raise seems a little out of line. Yeah, I guess I would push Bruce to figure out if there's ways he can effectively counter what you're doing if you're too wide here through passive action. There, there may not be. No, I mean, I think you've given a great answer. Uh, you call. If I'm putting dead money into the pot, you do have a, plenty of equity versus, you know, a wide garbagey range. All right, well, there you go, Bruce. You, you made a huge mistake. Should be, should be ashamed. I think that's basically what we're all trying to say. Fired. So uh, he raises and then uh, Chris folds and the hand's over. No, just kidding. Chris, uh, the big blind folds and um, Chris looks to call. And we we get a turn of the seven of hearts. So it's now ace of hearts, queen of clubs, eight of clubs, seven of hearts. Before we talk about the turn, Chris, what? how do you think about three betting? in this spot where you should have a pretty big advantage. Uh, three betting as in before we got to the turn, but three betting in response yeah. to the check raise on the flop. I think that's going to have to happen, you know, less than 10% of the time for certain, but it was, it's definitely a good play, especially if your opponent is perceived to have mostly draws. Uh, and I guess that's where my caveat to what you were saying comes up. I don't see him as being as draw or air heavy as, you think based on him protecting his small blind flatting range. So I tend do you, to do you expect some like would you expect some ace jack ace ten here from Bruce? Well not only that, but I would I would definitely think that he would also flat ace queen and maybe one combo of ace king. Yeah if he has ace queen it changes things a lot. I'm kind of working from a he has almost no ace queen mindset. And I think if you do have if you can plausibly represent 
ace queen, it makes this a much more viable spot to be check raising. Yeah. Uh, just because ace ace queen is so much better than ace eight to check raise here. And I mean, and just knowing him, if you know, if we're going back to my shoes, which you know we're looking at it through his lens, I think he's going to be three betting ace eight suited more than calling. Um, maybe that's a mistake, but just actually micro dynamics, I would tend to think he would not arrive with a with a ace eight as a flat. Hmm. That's interesting. So flat ace queen. Raise ace eight suited. Is that sort of a unadjusted in terms, based on no. in terms of a, in terms of weights? Like if we're looking down at the minority of what's happening, obviously you were expecting him to three bet all of his ace queens. But should he be introducing a, uh, a small blind flatting range, which is what he's doing here, and it's kind of novel because mostly he's an aggressive player, I would expect him to feel like he wants the initiative and some fold equity with ace eight and then knock out the button or at the big blind. But with ace queen, he can handle any action and, and might even be hoping that the BB thinks the spot is better for squeezing than it is. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. Definitely a thought process that I've had before. Reverse. So basic reverse psychology tends to work pretty well in poker until you're playing against better players. Well, it, it <laughs> It'll, it'll, it, the point is that it's a, a minority of the time it's going to be extremely helpful. And when it's keeping me, to answer your original question, it's keeping me from wanting to three-bet too much on the flop. Yeah, if you can avoid getting three-bet with nothing, you've done something you've done something well. Yeah. All right. All right, so we, we got a seven, you said? Yeah, seven of hearts on the turn, so it brings a second flush draw, and we're sitting with, um, King of Clubs, Jack of Diamonds, and the small blind, and we've got about let's see, I have a rather large SPR of like twenty or something, quite big, and um, yeah, on this on this turn, um, I don't know. I think it's it's a bit of a a tough continue. I might. Like if I did decide to check raise here, I might consider giving up on this turn because um, in position will have a lot of like flushes, a lot of like queen x of hearts that maybe even some eight x of hearts that they can comfortably continue with here. And um, yeah, it's going to be tough to get a lot of folds here, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. We, we're not getting. I, I would. I think you would be hard pressed to find, like, many hands that fold here. Maybe like a king jack of spades, king ten of spades, or a king jack with a jack of clubs, king ten with like the ten of clubs. These sorts of hands. Uh, I'm not sure that those necessarily call the check raise either, but. Yeah, I don't. I don't think many hands fold when we have the, yeah. uh, when we have no ace or queen or heart and one club. Yeah, we're. I mean, we're blocking some of the hands that we want to get to fold, um, which are those those like gut shots that you mentioned with the backdoor possibilities. And another thing I would say is like, yeah, we're not getting. We're probably not getting over folds here. Like we're not getting. We're not getting, especially with this candidate, um, we're not going to get Chris to fold higher than MDF by any means. So, yeah, I, I think this could be a good time to like give up this hand and then maybe start really sizing up with the value that he has here. What do you think, Chris? Well, it seems quite liberal to continue. I think that's why Bruce had an issue with this hand. Um, he also noticed he decides not to just bet, he decides to pot the turn. Um, so we're getting into not only just over bluffing with King Jack itself, but you know, even as a price, it's, it's becoming problematic. Uh, the floats that Jack mentioned that I will have, given that we're so deep, can all go away at a lesser price. Um, and we also don't actually get ourselves set up for 
you know, the biggest bets this way. If he's going to have a large bet range, I'd actually like to see Bruce go more than 100% on the turn mm-hmm. because now we're actually starting to fold value hands. Yeah, you could have Jack-10 here too, which is, or like Button could have it because it's double-gutted on the flop and just noticing that. Yeah, so we so this range would extract a lot of value from the hands that, you know, like weak ace-xs that feel compelled to continue and would certainly get starts to getting folds from, you know, you mentioned some eights that might hold on or maybe even a maybe even a queen. I'm not certain entirely, but the pot size bet seems like a problem in addition to the line itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think sometimes you see a line and it just it suggests like a greater level of thoughtfulness such that as a as a coach or commentator I'm more willing to sort of lend the benefit of the doubt and put like significant thought or credence to the idea that this person is thinking deeply about the way their opponent is playing uh, and what opportunities become available because of that. And so, for example, I think if, if Bruce takes this line and then comes out and bets, let's say like 175% of pot, it, it seems more plausible that that is, like a well thought out and constructed play um, or it's taking advantage of some very sort of specific tendency of maybe floating too often and just being in a spot where it actually becomes quite difficult to continue with some of these big draws or pair plus draws or, um, you know, sort of like weaker aces. But yeah, with this size, it, it feels very kind of, I would actually guess that Bruce, if he had value, would think to go larger here, is my guess. I don't know what you think. Though. Yeah, I think, I think both of those assumptions are fair. Uh, the first one is about sort of the button-clicking aspect of hitting a precise geometrical size. I hit half pot. I hit pot, especially online. We know that there's not that much thought going into it. If he's really trying to create a polarized range of hands, why not 125? Why not? You know 150 or 175 maybe that starts to say something especially given that we're started so deep now i've forgotten your second point but it sounded good too what was that that had he was if he was holding ace queen i think he would take much greater into account the idea that this is a spot where we want to deny a significant amount of equity and also sort of limit uh our opponent's availability to continue and polarize with a lot of money behind on rivers, which come out unfavorable to our value on the turn. Sure. So, okay. And that's just the bias of the value, which right. is the other side of the same thing. Yes. I think the half pot bet, not only, or the pop size bet, not only gives away some information, it uh, does, it has the problems of, of not gaining enough value or, or fold equity. Yeah. And I, I think when, like when we see Bruce do this with this particular candidate, it kind of shows that I don't think he has, he's giving up with any of his flop bluffs. Um, because like, like we, we might, I think we'd give this one up and maybe continue like when we raised a backdoor heart type hand. Mm-hmm. But like when we're just barreling with something with bad blockers, like we didn't pick up clubs for like additional equity either yeah it just it shows where we want to win the hand and so like we bet a size that like we could plausibly get some folds Mm. i just think it shows the value of like having a little bit more patience on the flop and choosing candidates like king of clubs jack of hearts versus king of clubs jack of diamonds uh which ends up making a pretty big difference on a fair number of turn cards. So it, it's the kind of thing that in reality, it probably doesn't make a very big difference because, you know, Chris is probably either overflowing the flop or he's not. And that's going to be more or less the be all end all of whether this is a good flop love. But certainly if we're, we have some uncertainty there, certainly if we have uncertainty, hmm. anyways, uh, if we have uncertainty, then I think 
limiting our sort of discovery of what's actually, or, you know, how our opponents are responding. Not that we'll get that much information from one spot, but I think limiting ourselves to our, our best theoretical candidates is a reasonable way of going about exploration. Yeah, absolutely. How could that be wrong? All right. So um, we we bet seven into six point six, and we get a call from the button from Chris here on the turn, and we're gonna get a river very soon. We have a river of the five of clubs. So what do you think here, Jack? We've come this far. <laughs> we block a flush. We block the second nut flush. And um yeah, maybe maybe we got there with some some backdoor um you know six four of hearts, backdoor straight. Probably not. You think we go for it on this river? So you know, an above average river for this hand for sure. You know, it'd be it would be a little strange not to go for it uh, if what we've done to this point in this hand is justified. But I would be a little reluctant to, in part because I don't think that much of our ace of clubs takes this line. We, we probably should from a balance perspective, but I think most players will default to a call. And so I think it's a little, it's a bit of a tough sell. We just, I don't think I have that many combinations here that are incentivized to go for value. And I think that we can kind of sprawl out and do a lot of bluffs. And I also don't know that if we have like a two pair or an ace jack or something that we're to continue at this point. So I'm I'm okay with a give up, although it definitely is, you know, consistent with what we've done so far in this hand. I think to bluff here, um, although, you know, it's I really don't like bluffing at all on two flush drop boards. Just as a rule, I just think it's hard to get very many folds, especially out of position, and so it's a little bit of foreign territory for me because I normally. I just don't put myself in this spot. So I haven't thought very much about it, to be honest, about whether we can get hands like, let's say, ace-jack of diamonds to fold. Because that I think that's more or less the category that we need to start folding for this to work very well. I mean, we can... I guess if we're up against a lot of like pair-plus draws, then especially like queen-x of hearts, eight-x of hearts, as you mentioned then maybe this ends up working out reasonably well for us. And maybe we can choose a smaller sizing to kind of more so target those hands and make our range a little bit more linear on the value side such that we can continue betting hands like ace-queen for value, which, you know, if we went really big, then those hands obviously fall off. And I don't think this bluff really makes a huge amount of sense. Uh, on the really big side of things. So overall, I would say I'd probably give up and I also don't, you know, I I avoid this part of the game tree um, very actively and I recommend that others do so too. Yeah, I, I think we need to be repping like, we could have like the combo draw, like king, jack of clubs, king, 10, jack, 10 of clubs, something like that. So, but... We also might want to represent that we could have those those two pair hands, like you said. So going super big, probably not the option we want to take just because whenever, I mean, whenever Chris has like the ace of clubs in his hand, I think we always lose. I think he can, um, like he either has a flush or he can rebluff us as well pretty easily on the river. What are your thoughts about these two flush Boards, Chris. Do you think people are continuing too much on them that we we shouldn't mix in as many bluffs? 
Well, that kind of forced players to learn to bluff even in spots that they're not comfortable with. So I think the question kind of goes, it rewinds to all the points we've made, some of the ones that we've agreed on or haven't spoken about. I think we can all agree that the turn is something of a problem. We can agree that the sizing is a problem. What is he representing? Is he trying to say he has ace-queen? That kind of value range. uh, Jack mentioned having a more linear price if we are going to want to be betting some of those hands. I don't think this line makes a lot of sense overall. And the pot, notice he does the exact pot size thing. Yeah. Uh, what part of the, you know, what part of our range are we in? What are we trying to say we have? At the same time, you know, what are the good parts of this line? Um, what originally started with is we could predict, at least on some runouts, because of that king of clubs, we will have some playability, right? Um, on the turn, that sort of disappeared. And so the value or play, uh, went down and now suddenly we, we the, the value of our play goes up I mean it doesn't it doesn't make sense in a logical way a doesn't lead to B to C very clearly but now having a bluffing range of the king of clubs uh, makes sense in a, in a way um, even if the sum the sum uh, the whole the parts don't add up to the sum so to speak. yeah uh, but yet we also have to remember to protect those value bets so why can't the king of clubs protect you know the times we want to value bet our rare trap with ace queen or maybe if we're playing more like jack mentioned and we do have ace eight and we want to be value betting here why can't we mix the king of clubs into that sizing which won't be for pot so i think there's a lot of good thoughts from from bruce here but the overall you know dragging the details through the mud seems to uh seems to slow down his ability to win here yeah, when I when I say that I don't really bluff in turns like this, it's not to say that certainly we should have bluffs in theory. I just think against, especially against slightly better players, I think that there's too many bluffs in the air, such that when we're out of position, one, there's a lot of equity in our opponent's range that makes it hard to get folds in the first place. And it's tough to get bluff catchers to fold on many runouts just because it's very easy to find bluffs. Bluffs are always at top of mind. Bluffs are most effective when our opponents think we don't have enough bluffs. Um, those are the times we want to have too many bluffs. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't think this will be one of those times very often. I think we have to be up against an opponent who's relatively face up with the parts of their range that are going to fold without much resistance uh, by the river at a high frequency. I don't okay, think so you're, sort, you're sort of answering a question I had for you. Was that thought about the river and the frequency of your bluffing an exploitative one, as they would say, or is it a, you know based on the ratio of hands that they have and, and have not? You're saying that, that players will behave actually in such a way that you don't necessarily want to bluff this much. Yeah, I don't think we get enough folds across the board to justify bluffing, especially without significant equity ourselves. Yeah, I think it, it, it's very tricky to get enough folds across two streets here. I think we have, so, it's easier, I think, with a very large turn pit. Oh, well, you answered my question again. I was going to ask you, what if he does put in the turnover bet? You know, does this now become, with a different, after a call even, does it become an easier bluff for you? Yeah, I think... Uh, I still would probably want to have more blocking power. And I certainly wouldn't want to choose hands that have a difficult choice facing a turn shove from our opponent or a turn raise. Uh, I've lost track a little bit of SPR, but typically on the turn, if you bet, you know, one and a half to two times pot and you face a raise, it's going to be all in. So I would want to have relatively clear decisions. And I think if we had a hand like King of Clubs, Jack of Hearts, we would, uh, and, and we sort of shift you, Chris, towards your non-pair-plus draw range. Mm-hmm. I think, like, all of your ace of spades and diamonds, I think, are in a, a, tough, a much tougher spot facing that size than facing pot, both because it shows 
both because it's more money, but also because it shows a greater degree of thoughtfulness around polarization, which I think that spot kind of demands. And so I think you're, you're better off either going for that extremely sort of polarized strategy or just taking a no bluff or very, you know, rarely bluffing approach if you want to stay sort of in the realm of sizings that doesn't get your opponent to think that hard about what you're doing, which I think against a lot of weaker players is actually very worthwhile. So, so that's kind of, you know, those are my general thoughts here. I think against stronger players who will read into your sizings no matter what, we should just go with what's incentivized, which I think is much larger sizings. So could I summarize that since I think we agree, but I'm not certain. If it's king of clubs, jack of hearts, we can go 150% more often. If it's king of clubs, jack of diamonds, we should check turn more often. I agree with that. I'm. This is This is all, again, I don't really check raise this flop very often. <laughs> so on, on an ace queen eight board, you know, small line versus button, it, it's tricky to even put ourselves in that position in the first place. But in other situations where say we have a, a more polarized range against a somewhat strong, but somewhat capped range, then I do think uh, that sort of approach is warranted where we take our absolute best Bluffs from a blocking perspective, but not necessarily from an equity perspective. And we funnel them into uh, extremely large sizings that have a relatively polarized value component. All very fair. Uh, the, the flop play has, has led us into some trouble. Well, it's, it's a good way to learn because, you know, Bruce is more likely to fig- find gold here than I am. I'm relatively stuck in my ways, I guess. So potentially there there is something to be discovered down this path. Although to this point, I'm not seeing it. Uh, but I do get excited when someone sees something that I don't. And so I'm I'm hopeful that you know there there's light at the end of the tunnel here, and I can start doing more check raising on these flops. <laughs> to start flatting a screen more is that amusing (laughs) i hear james laughing um no i don't suggest just flatting a screen more but certainly the idea that if you're going to introduce some sort of range at any point only doing it with hands that are purely incentivized to do so would probably be bad so that was my thought as to why he might have a screen uh, or a hand that was stronger than it's almost as if Jack, King Jack is the exactly the kind of hand that might want to flop, uh, might want to flat the uh, small blind. It's too perfect. Yeah. yeah. It's the kind so, of flat. On the river, um, just to wrap it up a little bit, we face an all in from the button and uh, reluctantly have to fold. I think it's for just about, um, looks like. 1.2 pot 1. 3 from button raise on the river so um, unfortunately we have to fold It'd be a, quite a hero call I guess yeah but, this is, um, yeah that's <laughs> part of the, the hazard of this spot is that you know I don't I think I do think we get like jack 10 to fold which is great but if we're up against let's say like queen nine of hearts, I'm not so sure that that just uh, folds and doesn't like to do something different. It's It's got a relatively significant blocker. And, you know, if, it, if it's hard for us to have ace-queen, then, you know, our range, it looks a lot less uh, intimidating. Now, that being said, I don't, I don't think that necessarily, I don't think queen-nine of hearts necessarily would raise, I think that's it's more likely to either flat or fold. But I, I do think uh, like an eight nine of hearts is a hand that might consider a I, I kinda like raise with any like queen ten, queen jack with um, a club in it because like you said before, I don't think yeah. I don't think the got um, the clubs came through. Yeah, I don't think the ace X of clubs is gonna go for is gonna take this line very often. So I think 
we want to, yeah, blocking like those those combo draw hands could be nice. And then I also think like anytime we have the ace of clubs in our hand as a button, I think it's reasonable to just turn it into um, a bluff and just be really polarized here because, yeah, it'll be, we block a lot of the, I guess, I guess, um, I don't know. Maybe not. So if we don't expect the nut flush to take that line, then that doesn't make sense, actually. This line just has my bullshit radar off. And so, like, I just feel like I would never want to let this player win on the button. <laughs> it, so that's why I say it's dangerous. Excuse me. You'd never want the button to win? Are you from the button? If I, would, yeah, if I, was, if I was on the button, I would, I would never think the small blind should really win this hand. Right. It's it's too I think it's too weak of a range, such that if I had a hand that almost certainly couldn't win by calling, I would strongly consider a raise. I would I would consider raising even with hands that maybe are winning frequently, just because I think it's so rarely um, value that can sort of stand up to a big raise. Yes, uh, since we've reached the end, uh, that's what I was thinking. I can't remember what I had, but I know I didn't have it per se. I believe I might have had the ace of clubs though, which as you mentioned on the early, uh, in an earlier uh, comment, you put yourself at the mercy of on a run out with like this when you choose to show up somehow with the king of clubs. And to use these large bets and give me a real incentive to, to try to win uh, a large BB pot. So I think that's what I was thinking about. I noticed that I'm tanking down here for something. It goes into the delay. So I decided that I must have had a very weak ace and decided it was much better to turn it into a bluff. Yeah, and I think the same thought process, obviously the ace of clubs, it's a, nice, it's a nice card to have, but I think against this line, you can have a similar thought process with a hand like eight, nine of hearts. Right. Just say, yeah. If you if you just have like ace king of clubs like whatever, fine, you win. Well, <laughs> Unlikely yeah. that they'll have that, but yeah, ace jack of clubs maybe. I don't know. There, there maybe are ace jack of clubs. Yeah, yeah. There are definitely ways that I will get. I will lose a lot of money here in a really dumb way, and it's it's not a the type of play. I would make against someone I thought really didn't know what they were doing at all. It's it becomes too hazardous, I think. But against someone who has who's thoughtful, but maybe or it's almost you have to be thoughtful to have made these sort of sizing errors in the first place. And so right. I think you're sort of boxing yourself, and, and you know this about this guy, and he he should oh. know that you know this about him that he's thoughtful. And so you're, you're, you're putting yourself out really on a limb where people can make pretty strong assumptions about the way you're thinking because they know you're thinking. Right. I think what's happening, um, I mean, never mind Bruce, but for a lot of players who are expanding their game is in trying to push sizings or trying to push any action up in frequency, they don't just leap, <laughs> leap forward to the big one. They have to do it. In increments and so where if I was always betting half pot ooh, now I'm suddenly betting two-thirds or if I was betting two-thirds now I'm daring to do pot and I think that's the stage that we're seeing in this action that we're seeing actually literally the pot button being pushed because I'm thinking I have the king of clubs this should allow me a certain degree of polarity and uh, this is going to work rather than seeing just how deep I am what I'm incentivized to call with and just how many bluffs he can have, especially on that turn, which really doesn't change or help his range much. And which is why you should have checked to begin with. So that kind of incremental uh, progression is a very common approach. Do you think it's the right approach in poker? Well, I don't think it's the right approach, but I think it's a very natural approach for someone taking in new information. I, I see it all the time. I don't even think it's an opinion. There's sort of people are willing to do certain things and it's very rare when someone is willing to completely change everything they do all of a sudden. And I think that's why these games are valuable in a way because we 
we step out of the box, like the idea that this guy was ever check raising King Jack off on Ace Queen Eight, like before we started talking about things, is absurd. I recently saw some like a very good check raise spot uh, by one of my students. I ended up making a tough call, and he had a hand that didn't make any sense for it. It had no blocking value it shouldn't have arrived there but the idea that he was trying to reach for this line was really good and that's and that's really the valuable the value of, of these spots in the, in the learning process so I'm not judging or wanting to and I don't want to encourage people to do things incrementally I think it's just what we naturally do so would you encourage someone who was sort of stuck on the half pot half pot button to throw out a, a 2x pot bet just to see how it feels? I would encourage them to get rid of the pot button and force them to actually type in a size. It takes a, it's a little cumbersome though. Yeah, but now you have to actually think about the sizing. I mean, you were, I think it wasn't me who mentioned 175. That's a very particular sizing that only a few combinations can, can offer in any one situation. And it's not going to be programmed into almost any. You know, there's not going to be room for it. In in and in, in, if you're playing a live game, which is this is simulative of, there, it won't. You'll have to force yourself to look at the stack and think about it. So I think the more you think in game, the more you force yourself away from any button clicking of any sort is is going to develop you. Have you thought about altering the rules of your? Or is this technically practice for live games? I mean, it's a bit of both. It's practice. I mean, most people play deep, li deeper live, and most of these players are, in fact, live players. Not all of them. Well, the and only I reason don't... I ask is if it would make sense, or if there's a, the ability to extend the time people have. Uh, you know, it's a little excruciating if you're just sitting around watching, but uh, it, it could be an interesting option, something to try. Yeah, I think we get into the limits of the app, but if I were a um, developer, I think I would allow us maybe more time. That's a good idea. You know, it's funny because you can, uh, these apps have their own cultures and we're just using them. And this particularly, this particular app, PP Poker, how do they make their money? They make a lot of their money off little transactions that don't necessarily need. So anyone who's willing to send them a few bucks, guess what? They get a longer time back. So if you're just willing to invest more into the game and send more money to China, you can have more time to think. It seems worthwhile. <laughs> I would think so. But then, you know, I'm a cheapskate and I like thinking through things quickly. So I don't. So yeah. maybe I'm setting a bad example. That's that's really interesting. That that kind of balance. Yeah, how much how much money is it going to save you? Like, if you have those extra few seconds for those few dollars, I don't know. Oh, I guess tremendous. I guess it's better to just to learn to think quickly. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I have made so many, you know, I have made so many time bank folds that would have been good calls or otherwise good plays. It's it's really. It's funny that we're talking about this, but it it is worth it. Um, but the, at the same time, the discipline of having a strategy and trying to carry it out quickly has its own sort of benefits. So we should charge um, those tankers in the live games. We should we should have to pay an extra couple dollars for every extra minute they take. That'll that'll cut their tanking out. That's a great idea. Why can't we do that? Especially <laughs> when they tank for over nothing. That's that gets people upset. Like yeah. That. Yeah, they should get get fined a little bit. Yeah, they, that's, they they come they come mostly though because the drama is all about them. So I don't I don't think they're aware. Yeah, the shot clock. I think you know it's it's scary, but I do think that it would it would help overall, especially for tournaments. Tournaments are I hate tournaments. I do love tournaments, but they're so boring. <laughs> yeah, I know they're boring. I uh, One of the many things I do in poker is a little bit of tournament 
poker blogging, you know, someone records so it's just such as a hand put, throws it up on a blog. And, and let me tell you, as, as much as there's like happy, exciting moments with people screaming and angry ICM, you know, decisions and shops, mostly I'm walking around looking at people who, who look like they want to shoot themselves. Yeah, there's, there's more drama than excitement. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well put. Um, I think that's that's one of the reasons like so, like these these training things can kind of be it just seems a bit more f- more fun like when when you know the other person and like maybe the game's tough and you're trying to to implement a complex strategy but um yeah, I don't know, like when you're not with with a bunch of like angry or like frustrated people like playing poker can just be a lot more fun. I guess I guess online you're not inundated with everyone's frustration and um so yeah, that can be a benefit good. of that. You, but these uh <laughs> these uh well I guess um it's not chat. as they're they're not actually right next to you. You can't like feel their <laughs> you're vibrating off them. But, they, have, um, they have ways of trying to make you feel it. No one's ruder than an online player in a chat box. They will say uh, things. Yeah. They will say things that no one live will ever say. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like they can't hurt me. Though. People would say that. <laughs> <laughs> but these uh, these deep stake like games with your students, they sound like like a ton of fun. Like, um, yeah, they sound like really interesting to play in. Yeah, they are. They've become. I mean, they went from like something that I thought that I would like. Why am I adding this to my load? To one of the highlights of my week. They they are fun, uh, challenging, interesting, and exciting. Especially when you're playing for small stakes but huge VBs. And uh, I mean, look, you guys were able to take apart this hand. Uh, James has learned how to now flat ace queen from the small blind and improve himself. Uh, we get a lot about it. We get we get a lot out of it. Fantastic. Uh, well, Chris, we'd love to do this again. I know you've, you sent us six hands. We talked about one. So, you know, if you'll tolerate us for a little bit longer, I'm sure we could, uh, we could have another nice discussion. Whatever you guys like, uh, this is a great podcast and uh, and I enjoy it when I can, I would uh, just let me know. Thanks for all your help. And I'm sure Bruce will take his scolding with, uh, with a grain of salt and he's, he's a tough guy and he likes to learn. Bruce, the invitation extends your way as well. If you want to tell us why we're wrong, that would please me more than anything else. Well, thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Uh, I hope this was another riveting and informative episode of Just Hands, and we will talk to you again soon.